Good morning. The reading today is Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. You can follow along on page 6 of your bulletin. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syndike, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Hi. <laughs> I think it's been a while since I've been up here uh, <laughs> preaching. But um, as I said earlier, my name is Yancey. I'm one of the pastors here. You know, our lead pastor, Duquan, is away on sabbatical. And I just want to remind you, as Marcus did earlier, uh, keep him in your prayers. Keep he and his family in your prayers. Uh, you know, this whole transition can be a, a restless time, a time of wrestling and, and learning how to break away from normal life as they understood it to transition into uh, the sabbatical that God is bringing them into. So yeah, just remember to, to pray that God would give them peace um, as they are away from us. So today we're beginning a, a new uh, sermon series, a six-part series called The Practices of Making, uh, The Practices of a Peacemaking Community. So in a moment, we'll focus in on that, on how Jesus gave us peace and how to embrace the peace of God. But first, will you, will you join us in prayer? Jesus, thank you so much. God, we need you. We need you as the head of our church. We need you as the head of our households. God, we need you as the head of our community. Take us now into heights, new heights in your love, and teach us how to be a community that cherishes you more and the world less. For when we delight in you, all else has its proper place. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. A peaceful community. You know, as I've been thinking about that word, peace, you know, it's a very common word to our ears. So for some, it does mean just having a calm. For others, it, it means the absence of noise. Maybe for some moms, it means that for you at times. For others, it, it may mean just breaking away and having a, a time next to the beach or a walk through the woods. We characterize this word uh, maybe differently, but we all understand that there's something within our souls, within our being, that longs for things to be made right, 
because we recognize we are not in a perfect world and things aren't the way they're supposed to be. You know, I first I recognized this when I joined a, a uh, nonprofit board, you know, sort of reluctantly joining this board, wondering if I had time to be a part of it. I, I was promised that, you know, not many hours would be spent on work. Uh, but we, we know how that ends up, right? Not the case, as I thought it was going to be. So the longer I sat on this, this board uh, of this community organi organization, the more I came to realize the depth of disagreement that the board had with one another. So when I thought there would be a time of peace and an easy transition to being on this board, there was a need for peace. So from the outside looking in, you know, the partners, you know, they were cordial with each other, respectful and kind. Upon further review, these guys could not persevere beyond the impasse of failed attempts at seeking peace between one another. How could believers live like this? They could not come to a solution with each other. But we know the semblance of peace does not replace the desperate need for internal and indeed external peace. So if there isn't peace, there will be trouble that rocks our security. We all have felt that at, at one time or another. We felt that security being rocked in our community, in ourselves, and in our world. And on the world stage, we all long for that. As leaders sit down together to have peaceful negotiations or, or, or first chat, we're, we're hoping that things go well. We're watching with bated breath to see what happens. And we know on the world stage as well that there have been many peace treaties that have been indeed broken. Some of those are in my household. So <laughs> I know how it goes. My failure indeed. But you know, a theologian Cornelius Plantinga Jr. states, at the bottom, we human beings want security. We feel restless and anxious in the world because we are both finite and free, both limited and unlimited. We are persons of seemingly less possibility and of immense power. But we are also creatures utterly dependent on the good offices of our creator prophet, priest, king. So we live on the edge of our finitude and freedom, anxious lest we miss opportunities and anxious anew when we have exploited them. For suppose we lose our advantage. Suppose someone or somebody usurps our power or defrauds us of our money and defeats us in our re-election bid for office. Don't persons of eminence Fear obscurity, just as tyrants fear the approach of justice. Anxiety is only the context for sin, not its cause. Our base problem really is this, unbelief. And God does call us to believe. That's part of the work of the gospel. And this is what Jesus promised in John 13, 33, that we will receive trouble in this world. In this world, the way the world goes about seeking peace, there will be trouble. There will be a lack of it in the way the world pursues it. He gave us another assurance. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. 
And that should be good assurance to us. Our Lord and Savior is saying, my death on the cross and my power to raise from the dead should be enough for you to see that everything will be all right, that indeed the victory is in hand. Is that hand for you and that's hand for me right now? Because God does give us peace through Jesus. He does come and turn our world upside down at times to show us his love. It's almost as if the Savior has to wrestle us down to show, I love you, I'm committed to you, and I'm not going anywhere. And that's hard. Because as I think about being a father and dealing with my children, that is the wrestling match. I would love you, so I'm not going to let you hit your sister upside the head. I love you, so you, I'm not going to let you wrestle with the baby. I love you, and you're not going to get your way, but I'm going to bring peace to you. So we see that Jesus brings this. We see the formulation of this in our text in verse 7. It is the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace comes and, and builds a fort around our hearts and our minds. It's the peace itself that's there for us, that given us, it's given us assurance that, that God is working for us in our benefit, on our behalf, even when it hurts, even when our hearts seem to be lagging or our minds seem to be wandering on something else that, would, that it would hold on to other than Christ. When we look throughout scripture, we see peace to you as a common Hebraic greeting. And go in peace is common when departing. So we see this idea of peace or shalom, a rename. Shalom is this flourishing of God. It, automatically, we go back to the beginning, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, where there was a flourishing in the garden for Adam, where there was a flourishing for God himself when he began to create things in the world. He spoke things and they came to be. And they flourish as God intended for them to be. And if you, if you look now at creation, you go outside right now, there's some bushes, some weeds, some, something that's overgrown. Unless we cut back those things in our garden or in our house, coming up through the pavement of our streets, unless we cut back those things, they will continue to flourish. And there will be an overgrowth of those things. So it is with things in our lives, isn't it? When we let those things run rampant in our lives that fight to choke us out, those weeds of the soul, they will just continue to grow. They, they will win the day if we do not come with the peace of God to guard our hearts and our minds and to push those things back and to cut them down. For some of you, they, it, it may be some type of besetting sin that you have declared long ago, hey, I, I'm going to cut that down and be done with it. For others, it could, it could be uh, how you treat one another, how you treat your neighbor with disdain. You have declared that I, I should not have said that. I would do better next time. We have to cut back, cut those weeds back in our hearts but more, really, I think God is calling us to uproot the very thing that's 
causing us and that's hindering our peace. So we see automatically there was a flourishing in the garden, but then the fall did happen. It did happen, and it, it did disrupt shalom, but not all-inclusive. And that's why we feel this sense of being free and being finite, because we, God is committed to bringing shalom in our lives, bringing, our, bringing dignity in our lives. So instead of war, God still disclaimed peace. Instead of fighting, God still proclaims peace. Instead of the fall of mankind, God declares peace, all because of what Christ has done. You know, we were made in God's image, and peace among men is the reflection of God's own nature. So peace is something of the attribute of God that he gives us as a part of himself. God is completely at peace with himself. And then we see overall, peace in scriptures refers mostly to a quality of human life given by God as a blessing of salvation. For those who are in Christ, this is this peace he has given you. Christ declared the counselor in John 14, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid whether that's something externally from ourselves or internally, Christ is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I'm near to you, closer to you than you ever can think of or imagine. The transcendent peace of Jesus is Jesus himself. It is his own peace. It is the spirit taking up residency in your hearts. And this peace goes, that goes beyond the range of limits. This is the peace that Christ said, uh, what Paul said in Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Thanksgiving is a part of that. So by the power of God, by the power of his spirit, he gives us peace through Jesus. And so I just want to look quickly here at our text and, and uh, look at three things from this passage. So if Jesus really does give this peace, give his peace, what does that mean for us? Uh, for one, it means we must agree in the Lord. And secondly, it means we, we must find our freedom in the Lord. And thirdly, it, it means we must persevere in the Lord. So first... We, we must agree in the Lord. And we see this in uh, verses, verses uh, 2 through 3, where Euodia and Syntyche, they're at a discord with one another. And throughout the letter of Philippians, you know, Paul is, is writing lovely things to them, how he remembers them in his prayer, how he is grateful for their partnership in the gospel, how he rejoices over them, with them, and, and he shows his own life as an example that they follow. But he comes to this place and he pleads with Euodia and Syntyche. 
about discord that they are having in their lives. Uh, but what is really needed here in order to uh, agree in the Lord? The first thing we see here in verse 2 in this pleading, God, uh, Paul said, I plead with Yodi and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. So that we need this encouragement, this deep, profound encouragement from one another. Because they were in discord with each other, and Paul is giving this urgent cry, this plea, this encouragement. It's really strong encouragement to these ladies to come face to face with each other, to reason together, as God says in Isaiah. Let's reason together, face each other over their disagreement. He wants them to come on the same page with each other and have the same mind, to think the same in the Lord Jesus. You know, he's already addressed the, the wider community in chapter 2, verse 5. He tells them, your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, the same as that of Christ Jesus. So this is not necessarily having an opinion with, with regards to something, you know, or it, this is not having an opinion about matters of judgment. Uh, Instead, this is to, for the, the latest to face each other and to come back afresh to ingrain in their minds over and over again the ways of the Lord, to think his thoughts after him. You know, we, we see that in, um, in Philippians 2 where we have the attitude of Christ and we notice something about that, that Christ is the ultimate example of how we are to live towards one another giving up of ourselves to each other, just as he did. Being in the very nature of God, did not seek equality with God, something to be grasped. He wasn't running after being like the, uh, being in power here, but instead he, he made himself nothing, emptying himself, taking on the very nature of a servant. And so Paul is encouraging these ladies, hey, do this, be like Christ, consider one another, as you're in this impasse towards each other. Jesus' obedience is a pattern that every believer must follow. We have to think, ingrained in our minds, how to obey Christ better. It's far satisfying than the alternative. But, but see, this is hard. This is what they're going through is what we go through all the time with friends. Whether we've been hurt by a spouse or a friend in our community, we come to this place where in our hearts, sometimes we make a vow. We say, well, I'm not going to hang out with them again. Or I'm just going to stay away from them because they hurt me so bad. That's what we say in our heart. That's at least what I say in my heart. Because I, I have to be careful not to be hurt again. Well, we know that leads to doubt. That leads to even further discord and distancing. So we need something else in order to agree in the Lord. Yes, we need a deep encouragement from one another, but we also need the support from another brother or another sister. And that's what Paul calls for here. Yes, and I ask you, loyal, yoke fellow, a true companion, partner, brother in the gospel, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Paul is saying, get in there. Help them to seek to reconcile with each other. Give them the support that they need. Be that mediator 
when you know that something is going on between a brother and a brother, or a sister and a sister, or a brother and sister, get in there. Do not be slow to go and, and try to help them resolve the matter. Because it, it means that if we don't go in there to support them, it could mean that our entire community would, community would be fragmented and distancing and slow to repent and slow to love one another. So when we see these things happening, we, got, we have to get in, in there. It's not enough just to tell a friend about what you heard that's going on with the brother and the brother or sister and sister or however it shakes out. It's not enough to know what's going on in a marriage you know, that's going on with a couple, they're having a hard time. We have to get in there as a community. This job is not up to one person. It's all of ours as a body of Christ. So we have to seek to help one another, help those who we know love Jesus Christ, who, know, who we know has proclaimed the gospel along with us because they are very important to God because he loves them. And they're at a place where they may not see their blind spots, but we probably can see them and we probably can help them navigate through them by showing that member care. This is what we're called to this is how we're called to agree in the Lord. Communities in which we grow and flourish, however, last over time and are built by people who are faithful to one another and committed to a shared purpose. And this has to be one of our purposes here. And thank God for the assurance that he gives that we can move into these places and do this. It says uh, their, their names are written in the book of life. Paul is confident that they believe the gospel, that this is not a, a mere brother and sister who uh, are just proclaiming Jesus and, and live in a different way. No, these are people uh, whose lives he's seen, who he heard proclaim uh, the truth of Jesus. And so he knows that they have the power to, to have this type of peace that God gives because God has given it to them. And so we have to dive into there and, and, to, and to help them move past this impasse. So another thing here, you know, now that we've received this peace from Jesus, um, we're able to find freedom in the Lord. And I know this is a very popular passage. I love it. It's so endearing to my heart. Uh, it really stirs my heart to faithfulness. And to trust God uh, because it is indeed about rejoicing. So we find here in verses 4 through 7 what, what Paul says for us to rejoice. He, he gives about four or five commands here. Uh, things for us to do to find this type of freedom. Because we all deal with some type of anxiety in our lives. Whether that is anxiety from our family of origin things that are, uh, how our family has brought us up, whether intentionally or, or not, things that have happened in our background. So it could be family of origin issues. It could be something that has happened in your life today, circumstantial, uh, that brings anxiety to you. It could be a lifestyle that you're living that has brought anxiety 
Or it could be just uh, hereditary. could just be from the fall that we are just broken and we have this uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, predisposition towards anxiety. It could be a, a number of things that we're anxious about. But the anxiety here is indeed this, this deep, not just this worrying about what you would eat or drink, but it is this, this, this sort of mind, uh, mind attack, this mind change, if you will. It's when the thoughts just continue to come and you're worried about your very life. It could be thoughts that you're perceiving, or it just could be uh, a, a deep-seated fear that you're unable to shake. But the anxiety is something that is not easily moved away from. But God gives us this. He gives us joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul puts emphasis on this. And we have reason to rejoice. Our rejoicing is a very reflection of God's delight in us. The Lord rejoiced in creation. He rejoiced in what he has made, and he rejoiced in his people, the sons and daughters that he loved. So, we, so when we believe the, the victorious message of the cross and the, the resurrection of Christ, and we're experiencing the ongoing work of the Spirit through repentance and faith, God promises that we will be joyful. It's the fruit of the Spirit, joy. It leads to rejoicing. This is something that God and God, only God can give. Next, he says, uh, next one is gentleness. We can find freedom in this. Say, let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? What's the assurance? The Lord is near. So gentleness is not insisting every thing that be right the way that you want it to be it's not insistent but it's yielding it's like coming to a roundabout down the street and instead of pulling out in front of a car you yield you wait until they pass and that's beautiful in a community like ours where are we yielding where are we being gentle with one another where are we being flexible to allow the other to go and to flourish. Not trying to stand out to say, hey, look, I'm somebody. But really loving a brother and sister to encourage them towards growth and maturity. The third thing here is not being anxious. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition. And as we were saying earlier, anxiety really does disrupt our joy and deprives us of peace. It's the pain and suffering that we feel in life. And so we naturally want to control the outcome of our lives through hard work, you know, through our own diligence to succeed, through our own ingenuity. C.S. Lewis states, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There's no such thing. 
And we need to take heart in that because I don't know about you, but I become tired of the rat race, of running after my own ambition and goals. It's, it's heavy laden. And so it's good that it only can be found in the Father. And he gives us Christ, and he promises this peace from our inmost being, not from outside of ourselves. Yes, there needs to be times of respite, but God is promising something deeper here. And as we have this um, freedom in the Lord, we should give thanks, being grateful, seeing that it, this takes, seeing all that God has provided and all that God is doing. You can't be thankful for what you haven't received. You can't be thankful for what you haven't seen God given, but he has indeed given all and all and then some. So we have to bring this thanksgiving to God. This probably needs to be the first thing. God, thank you for being good to me when you didn't have to. God, thank you for my friend who called me up when I was down and out. God, thank you that you're the one that watch over my children, even when I'm not looking. Thank you. And it can go on and on and on. But God gives us an assurance that his peace, that his peace would transcend all understanding. And this is how we know that it will be from God. That this is something that cannot be reached, cannot be attained to. It transcends even our thinking, our intellect about what it should be. It, is, it just is. And this peace will indeed guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So we've looked at the fact that Jesus does give us peace and, and that we, um, we can rejoice in this. We can agree in the Lord and we can find our freedom in it. Lastly, really quickly here, in the last two minutes I have left, uh, we can persevere in the Lord. And, and Paul is encouraging us here in this in verses 8 and 9, uh, to do a couple of things, really to, to ponder to ponder these, these, uh, these virtues and to practice them. So finally, brothers, to ponder, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Put these things in your mind because these things are about God's word, what's true, noble, and right. This is the truth of God that he's talking about here. What's pure, lovely, and admirable is about our heart condition, our affection towards the Lord and our cherishing of him. We need to ponder these things are fresh so that the fallow ground of our hearts may be broken up so that we won't be so stiff and, and forgetful to remember God's faithfulness towards us, that we really can persevere in the Lord as we think about his truth and as we cherish him in our heart. The second thing, of course, we can't do anything without putting this into practice. It's not good just to know. But we have to put this into practice. 
And one scholar puts it like this. Practices are at the heart of human communities. There are things people do together over time to address fundamental human needs. Every community has practices that hold it together. For Christians, practices can also be understood as responses to the grace we have already experienced in Christ in light of the word and work of God and for the sake of one another and the world. So our practices can include hospitality, making room for one another, inviting people into your space, even when it's messy, because you're inviting them into your heart. Our practices include making promises, sure promises to be there for one another and keeping those promises. Other practices include truthfulness, telling the truth, even when it hurts, looking at the face of a brother and sister and just speaking what is true by God's grace. You know, I love my kids for this. You know, uh, after my son went through a period of, of uh, fibbing a little bit, he came back around to telling the truth about everything. So I, I feel this freedom. I can <laughs> ask him about something and he would just tell the truth. I try not to wince whenever it's not something savory. But uh, <laughs> he's appreciate that truth. It's a reminder. Gratitude, and we'll look at this in weeks to come. You know, being grateful is another practice. Sabbath keeping, sharing testimonies with each other, discerning what's right and good, forgiving each other, worshiping personally, communally, uh, seeking to bring healing. Maybe it's a word you're bringing to one another. Maybe it is something that you're giving to one another uh, that they have a need. These are some of the practices. And God gives us assurance again in this passage. And the God of peace will be with you. He is the God of peace who wants to bestow peace upon peace upon peace on us. Because this peace that he's already given us is based in Christ. And so God is calling us even today to embrace this, to soak it up, to think about it, to take it to heart, and to live it out. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your work that you've given us in the gospel. More than that, thank you for who you are and your love. In your name we pray. Amen.